quotes at the top of your notes that I want you to look at. And they kind of answer this question. Jesus, is he really necessary? Here's the first from uh, uh, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. And here's what she says. There couldn't possibly be one way to God. I am a Christian who believes there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. So I am a free-thinking Christian who believes that, who believes in my way, but I don't believe it's the only way with 6 billion people here on the planet. So Jesus, is he necessary? Uh, Oprah would say no. Here's another quote from John MacArthur. Jesus, is he really necessary? Here's what this pastor says. Christ himself is the one way to God. And to obscure that fact is, in effect, to deny Christ and to disavow the gospel. What's this series all about? We're asking one question. Is Jesus the only way to God? But that one question has three questions in it. And the first question we've been answering for the last few weeks is right there in your notes. Will anyone experience eternal conscious torment under God's wrath in hell? That's been our first question. And Jesus answers that question with a very clear yes. Talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And here's how I think he would answer it based on the New Testament. Yes. And I love people enough to come to earth, warn them about it with conviction and compassion, and then offer myself as the only way out. But today, we want to address the second question in this one question. And it's this. Is the work of Jesus necessary? There's the key word. Is the work of Jesus necessary for salvation? Not just for Christians in the West but for all peoples and all nations. Now, there's two questions. There's kind of basic two answers. The first is the answer of pluralism. Pluralism would say, no, Jesus is not necessary. There are many paths to God, or as one person put it, God has many faces. Uh, Jesus is just one path. Jesus is one face. There are other faces of God. Buddha may be a face that would lead you to God or a path to God. Well, today I want to show a couple videos uh, from Oprah. And the reason being is not to bash her, but she's the face of pluralism in our society, very definitely. She is probably and definitely influencing more people in our society in greater numbers on, on this very topic of pluralism, but I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to listen. And so let's, let's look at these. The panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God, but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us, that we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there's also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. And that's do you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, that you can choose between one or the other? Most, most absolute definitely. Yeah. Now, now Marianne uh, Williamson says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other, that all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks it, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway, uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way. 
to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a then human being and, and many ways no but many paths right. to what you call God that and her crazy. path might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be on that, I mean, it's, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there could possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Because you say you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If you no. don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that means you right. Do you think do you think that if you if you are somewhere on the planet if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus. You cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. The People have talked about Truly, that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or does God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know... Oprah, God, Jesus cannot come back until that gospel is preached in the four corners of this earth. So, you know, figure it out. Okay, okay, I can't get into a religious argument with you. It's not religion, Oprah. I can't get into a religious argument with you, John. All right, that's the first one. Uh, no, leave lights out. Audra's going to bring up the second one. So, uh, boy, isn't it amazing? We can have a great discussion in, in the marketplace of the world until you bring up one name. Jesus, and then you say there's one way. And when it does that, then it ignites the whole tone of that. Now, there was, you know, anyway, there's more we can say about This is a little bit longer one. But again, just listen to the dialogue and try to recognize yourself in this. Recognize these are our neighbors. These are the people that are around. So try to, to, try to say, well, where am I buying into this? Okay, listen to this. Oh, wait, and, and, and this is uh, well, the guy he's talking to. Hang on, hang on. Go back to it. Audrey, I had a sorry. Catholic upbringing. I, I need to set this. Okay. Eckhart Tolle, New Age thinker, New Age author, uh, basically uh, Oprah's spiritual guru. Okay. Now, this is far bigger than her show. These are web. This, this is what uh, some critics have called the Church of Oprah. I mean, she's on the World Wide Web sitting with Eckhart Tolle and, and preaching the gospel of the New Age. So e Eckhart is her disciple builder, her spiritual guru, her mentor, or and any other author that she... And if you know, she's quoting authors all the time. That's the authority. The authority are what the ideas of other men. So that's who this Eckhart Tolle is. Okay, so take a look. Sorry, Audra, doing that too. Well, my question is regarding religion and spirituality. I had a Catholic upbringing. I married a Catholic, and we're raising our children this way. In reading books such as Tolle's, I've really it's really opened my eyes up to a new way of thinking, a new form of spirituality that doesn't always align with the teachings of Christianity. So my question is to you, Oprah, how have you reconciled these spiritual teachings with your Christian belief? I've reconciled it because I was able to open my mind about the, um, the absolute indescribable hugeness of that which we call God. 
Um, I took God out of the box because I grew up in the Baptist church and there were, you know, rules and, you know, belief systems and doctrine. And um, I happened to be um, sitting in church in my late 20s and I was going to this church where you had to get there at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning or you couldn't get a seat and a very uh, charismatic minister and everybody was just, you know, into the sermon. And uh, this great uh, minister was preaching about how great God was and how omniscient and omnipresent and God is everything. And then he said, and the Lord thy God is a jealous God. And I was, you know, caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous. And something struck me. Just, and I was like, uh, I think about 27 or 28. I was thinking, God is all, God is omnipresent, God is all. And God's also jealous. Jealous, God is jealous of me. Um, and something about that didn't, didn't feel right in my spirit. Because I believe that God is love. And that God is in all things. And so that's when the, the, the search for something more than doctrine uh, started to stir within me. And I love this quote that uh, Eckhart has. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes in uh, chapter one, where he says, man made God in his own image. The eternal, the infinite, and unnameable was reduced to a mental idol that you had to believe in and worship as my God or our God. Now, I think that's very eloquently put uh, by Eckhart Tolle in chapter one. But that is exactly what I was feeling when I was, um, you know, you know, sitting in church that 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 Sunday listening to the preacher. And, you know, it's it's been a journey to get to the place where I understand, as I said on the pre-show here, that what I believe is that Jesus came to show us Christ consciousness that Jesus came us to show us the way of the heart and that what Jesus was saying that to show us the higher consciousness that we're all talking about here. Jesus came to say, look, I'm going to live in the body in the human body and I'm going to show you how it's done. These are some some principles and some laws that you can use to live by to, to know that way. And when I when I started to recognize that, that Jesus didn't come in my belief. Even as a Christian, I don't believe that Jesus came to start Christianity. How do you um, advise people to reconcile this with their religious beliefs? Well, religion can be an open doorway into spirituality, and religion can be a closed door mm -hmm. that prevents you from going, going deeper. Mm -hmm. If So the... I love reading the New Testament, and some, I also read the Old Testament. Sometimes there's some incredible jewels mm -hmm. in there. And when I went through this inner transformation, and for the first time, accidentally, I picked up a copy of the New Testament at my mother's place, mm -hmm. and I started reading, and I immediately recognized the deep truth that is there, and I realized the truth that is deeper, that is expressed in what Jesus said, is much deeper than what you, how the church interprets it. There is a depth to it, and it reflects your own depth when you read it. So the, there's no conflict between, between this teaching, which is purely spiritual, mm -hmm. and any religion. Because if you go deep enough into your religion, then you all get to the same place. 
it's a question of going deeper. So there's no conflict here. With The important thing is that religion doesn't become an ideology. So it, it's, I believe this. And the moment you say only my belief or our belief is true, and you deny other people's beliefs, then you've, you've adopted an ideology. Mm -hmm. And then religion becomes a closed door. But potentially religion can also be a There is another book by a woman named Elizabeth Lesser. It's called The Seeker's Guide, where she talks about the new spirituality, versus, old spirituality the old. versus the new spirituality. And she says the old was, the old way, is the hierarchy has the authority. Church, church authorities tell you how to worship in church and how to behave outside of church. The new spirituality is that you are your own best authority. As you work to know and love yourself, you discover how to live a more spiritual life. The old is God and the path to worship him have already been defined, and all you need to do is follow the directions. The new is being able to listen within for your own definition of spirituality. Your deeper longings are your compass on the search. And the old says exactly what Eckhart was saying, that there's only one path. It's the right way, and all other ways are wrong. And the new spirituality says that many paths lead to spiritual freedom and peace. You have a rich array of gems from which to uh, draw illumination. The world's religious traditions, mythology, psychology, healing methods, scientific wisdom, your own experience, and that you can begin to string a necklace all your own. Then she lists, you know, other old and new. And so it's really a question of what you were saying to us earlier, that this material strikes a chord within you. Something in you opens up and once, you know, feels alive and is awakened to that. And yet there is the, the ideology that says what to you? What is the conflict for you? Um, just thoughts on the afterlife. Things like that, you know, you in a lot of books such as Tolle's, we get teachings from Buddhism or Hinduism, and those thoughts don't go along with, you know, what I was raised to believe as a Christian. So that's been the biggest thing that I've struggled with, I think. So, well, I am but, a Christian who believes that there are there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. So. Right. I'm a free-thinking Christian who believes that, who believes in my way, but I don't believe that it's the only way with six billion people here on the planet. Right. I mean, that's just powerful, powerful stuff. Got one more, Randy. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. We got to stay in the darkness for just a little bit longer. <laughs> then we'll turn on the light. Are, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? I mean... Okay, hey, it, man, the second you say there's one way, boy, she just rises up. She just rises up and then speaks with what? Her own authority. There are many. Well, let me tell you, you know, and, and regardless of what you think of Roman Catholicism, there are hundreds and thousands of years behind Roman Catholicism. And what she's saying is, let me tell you. This is how it is. I'm a free, free thinking Christian. There are many paths, man. Uh, what I want you to see, though, there's that lady who is, represents millions of people listening to her. And, and, and here's the thing. Ideology. Oh, that's a negative word. That is a negative word. You know what that is in Scripture? It's called sound doctrine. And then also notice the, the, the discussion is always between, is on a human level. 
Religion says this, but the new spirituality says this. They say this, we say that. Who's left out of the discussion? Well, if God has spoken, the, the discussion's over. And see, and that's the problem. We want to get, they want to get, and we want to get, that, that thing that stirs in you, she's saying this, this message, it's the flesh that says, yes, I want to rise up. I want to be independent. I want my own way. And listen, this isn't the new age. This isn't the new spirituality. It's the old lie from Genesis 3. Thou, you will not surely die. There are many paths to God. You will not surely die. Now, you say, how does this relate to the first question that we've been looking at? Heaven and hell. You buy into this many paths, you're buying into an eternal destiny, and I want to end with this. This is a short one. So you believe what happens to us at death when the body dies? You don't don't have a belief. I don't give it any thought. You don't? No. Well... Did you ever think about it, Eckhart? (laughs) (laughs) I know that the essence of who I am, which is the essence of who you are, is indestructible. You are the awareness. You are consciousness. Appearing as a person for a little while, but in essence, you are consciousness, and consciousness is, as consciousness, you are timeless. You are eternal in the sense of timeless. And when the form itself is lying there in the casket, that timeless formlessness has gone where? Transform to have either to join with the source mm-hmm. or to go through further experiences of experiences of awakening. Mm. In ways that our mind cannot even comprehend. No. Okay. Another night. Yay. <laughs> It's good. It's good. Oh, I just want to tell you, that is just heartbreaking. And we need to be broken. We need to be broken. And realize that all Oprah is doing is filling a vacuum in Western culture. A vacuum that you and I are responsible for. A vacuum that is there because we are silent. We are silent. And that vacuum will not stay. It will be filled with truth or with lies, with light or with darkness. Now, I'm sorry, I get fired up. Because I've had to watch that numerous times this week. And you can get angry, and there's a righteous angry, but there needs to be a brokenness. And I'm telling you, when this guy says, I don't even give it thought. And Oprah's shocked. Because she has enough vestiges of Christianity in her thought. She has not even played this out that I'm following a man who thinks... I am nothing after I die. I'm following a man who gives no thought to eternity, and I'm leading people down a lie. Oh, God, help us. And listen, that thinking is, some of it's represented in this room, and I'm not singling any, I'm just saying, we can get this many paths to God stuff in our heart. 
And she raised a question that we'll answer after our World Outreach Celebration. We will answer this question. What about those who have never heard? See, that she pulled that one out on a Christian that knew what she was saying. The Christian came across a little tense, but let me tell you, if you had to sit in that show and listen to that, you may have come across a little tense too, but it shows you the importance of compassion. She had a little bit of an edge. But listen, she pulled out, well, what about those that have never heard? And that lady was prepared. I don't know if I would quite give the answer the way she did, but you will be equipped in the weeks to come to give that answer. Okay. We're going to now go to the Bible because here's the beloved thing. God has spoken. You don't have to rely on Oprah, Eckhart Tolle, any other book, your own hunches, your own feelings. I mean, that's what Oprah said. I felt. And did you catch that? She was okay with a big God until God was jealous. And here was the point. I don't know what that preacher said, but you got to understand God's not jealous of you. He's jealous for his own glory. And he will not let anyone steal his own glory. He is a jealous God. Why? Because he's God. Powerful stuff. Powerful, powerful stuff. Let's take a look at it. Five reasons. Here's what Jesus says. You heard what pluralism says. No, there are many paths to God. He has many faces. Now, here's what Jesus says. Yes, I am necessary for salvation. John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father. All right. Now, let's give five reasons from Scripture. Five reasons why Jesus is absolutely necessary for the salvation of all people groups, not just certain people groups. First reason, number one, Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the second Adam. And this is probably the hardest reason to get your head around, so we'll we'll run into this, but we're, we're not going to take a lot of time. Turn to Romans 5, 17, and 19. And as we answer these questions in the weeks to come on uh, is faith necessary, we'll, we'll, we'll answer more of this question. But let's look at Romans 5, 17 through 19. Now, notice what he says here. It's a really tight argument, but I just want to get a very simple idea from it. Romans 5, 17 through 19. Notice what he says. For if by one man's offense, okay, that's Adam. The first Adam. If by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Second Adam. First Adam, everybody gets death. Second Adam, those who receive grace reign in life. Verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense... Adams, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, Adam, so also by one man's obedience, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. Now, in that passage, and you can read the rest of Romans 5, the beginning, he's contrasting the first Adam 
and the second Adam. And I've tried to give you, and here's the big point I want you to get from that. The work of the second Adam is as universal as the sin of the first Adam. The work of the second Adam is as universal as the sin of the first Adam. And I gave you a little illustration there. Adam, the first Adam, one act of disobedience. And what was that act of disobedience? It's in the garden. It's in Genesis 3. God said, do not eat of this fruit. The woman took it, ate it, gave it to the man, and the man took it and ate it, and he disobeyed. And God said, you will surely die. And in that moment, they had spiritual death. They were separated from God. They said, eek, were naked. They were scared of each other. They were scared of God. They hid. They ran. And then they had children, beautiful little children, sinner children, children born in sin with a sin nature that rebels against God. And so, and how do we know that? Every person on this planet does what eventually? dies. Everybody dies. The wages of sin is death. How do we know everybody's sinners? Everybody dies. And everybody knows on this planet death is a bad thing, that this is, this is a curse. Okay. Now, Christ, the second Adam, he does one act of disobedience. He dies on the cross for the sins of the world and makes many righteous. All that are in Christ live. So here's the point. If Adam choice had consequence for what the entire world so in christ his act on the cross has consequence for the entire world so there's a so what i'm trying to say is christ is not just the savior for this portion of the world any more than adam was the father of just part of the world how many you know who how many of the people on this planet were connected back to adam are connected back Every single person. How many of God's people are connected back to Christ? All. All who are in Adam. So here, born once in Adam and all die, right? Okay, these are lousy markers. Born again in Christ. And what happens? All live. Okay, you got it. Now, and that's for every tribe, people, language. Why? Because he's the new Adam of a new people. Now, here's the second point, though. It's easy to take that thought, and you could be led to universalism. You could be saying, wait a minute. If Adam is the father of all people, then maybe when Christ died, he's going to save, you know, all people. And everyone's going to get to heaven in this new Adam. But wait. Look at the second point. The work of the second Adam is only received by grace through faith. The work of the second Adam is only received by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If you read through Romans 5, you will see he will use many words like many. He'll, he'll repeatedly use the words many and all. Many and all. And he'll use it for everyone in Adam, but he'll use it. But the point is... Those who are in Adam, and the point is all who are in Christ. The question is, how do you get in Adam? Well, how do you get in Adam? You're just born that way. Just There's nothing you do. Guess what? How do you get in Christ? You're born that way. There's nothing you do, but you must be born what? Again. Okay, and this is you can see this in Romans 5. Notice verse 17. 
Look at Romans 5.17. The, the, the gift of life in Christ is for those who receive an abundance of grace and the righteousness. Okay, so in other words, not everyone who is dead in Adam is going to receive this. Only those who receive it. So that implies what? That there's those that don't receive it and you're still left over here. But it's grace, an abundance of grace. It's a gift. Notice uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Move back to verses 1 and 2. Paul's already made this point. So he assumes you've read verses 1 and 2 before you get to these many and all. So you've got to read Scripture in context. Notice what he says. Therefore, having been justified by what? And justified simply means declared right with God declared right with God and others by faith. We have peace with God through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not, not Mohammed, not religious works. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access, how? By faith into what? This grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, What is true of the crucifixion is equally true of the resurrection. Now, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Turn to 1 Corinthians, just the next book over. 1 Corinthians 15. The work of Christ on the cross is universal. And guess what? The work of the resurrection is equally universal. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, and let's look at verses 21 through 23. 21 through 23. For since by man came death. Now, who is he talking about? Adam, the first Adam. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. Who's he talking about? Jesus, the second Adam. Okay, the God man. Also came the resurrection of the dead. Now, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So it's not just his death. But let's make a little rock here, resurrection. It's also his resurrection. And so the work of Christ is as universal as the work of Adam. The problem with Adam, it all leads to what? Death. But when Christ died, it leads to life. And it's as universal for all people, all nations, all tribes as Adam's work for us. So there's the basic idea. The many that are impacted by the first Adam is all of humanity who are born sinners. The wages of sin is death, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the all impacted by the second Adam is some of humanity who are born again by grace through faith in Christ. But the work of Christ is just as universal as the sin of Adam. So, yes, you have to accept by faith, but that's as true in India as it is in Missouri. That's as true in Africa as it is in Canada. All right, that's the first reason. Jesus is the second Adam, and his work is universal. Number two, reason number two, Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. Jesus, the Bible says, is the one mediator. Turn to 1 Timothy. Turn to uh, 1 Timothy, and notice what it says. 1 Timothy 2.5. And this is a key, key verse. 1 Timothy 
5. Now, here's what, what the Bible says. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom, and then look at who's it for. For all. So he just said, okay, so there's a lot of ones in this passage. What are all the, what are the ones in this passage? How many gods are there? One. Okay. How many, so there's one God. How many humanities are, are out there? Yeah, it, it, human, it, 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 there is only one mankind. We're talking about all people. Now, how many, so there's one problem. All people are sinners and God is holy and we've got a problem. Now, what, what is the other one in this passage? There's one, yeah, one mediator or way to be reconciled between this one, one problem. So when someone says, well, there just can't be one way to God, you're missing that there's one God, there's one people with one problem, and there's only one solution to that. And it's a solution that God himself must provide. And what is that solution? God gave himself as a ransom. Look, sin is so serious. I'm so holy. I'm going to have to, and I mean God, I am going to have to come down and die in your place and then rise from the dead to offer you what you cannot offer me, a perfect life. Wow, what a great God. Now, notice this quote by John Piper. It says this, The problem between God and humanity is one, and God sent one mediator to deal with it. And boy, here it is. This one mediator is a cross. It is God becoming a man to do to not only die. Listen, if, if Christ was only here to die, he could have come down as a man, died, and in three days had this thing over with. Instead, he lived for 30 years. Why did he have to live for 30 years? Because we, he needed to live a perfect life. He needed to do, go through every experience that you and I have gone through, but go through it sinlessly. He needed to face every temptation humanity has ever faced, and yet face it victoriously. And so he offers up a perfect life and dies a perfect death and presents a perfect sacrifice that is a perfect payment for all of humanity because there is only one mediator. Now, look at, turn your Bibles to Acts 4, 11 and 12. Acts 4, 11 and 12 makes this point even more clearly. And notice what it says, Acts 4, 11 and 12. Peter is speaking, he's speaking to the Jews, but notice what he says. Verse 11, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders. Jesus came in the form of a man, particularly a Jewish man, and he came particularly to the Jewish people initially, and they rejected him. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, the Jewish people, which has become, though, the chief cornerstone. Nor now, And then he says, nor is there salvation in any other. It's like he's saying this. Look, you didn't like the first one I sent. Don't think there's going to be another. 
See, that's what he's saying. He said, well, I don't like He's saying what they were doing was the very thing you saw on those YouTube videos. Well, I don't want there to be one path. I don't like your particular God. In my own mind and in my own heart, I like this God. And, and, and he's saying, look, you reject this one. There is no other. There is no other. For there is no other name. And name means character. Uh, the question was asked in the video. Does God look at your heart? Or does he care that you use the name Jesus? What does God say? He cares about the heart and the name. Because the heart can only be fixed by the one name. And the name represents your character. Your name is your reputation. It's your character. Where there's only one name who is sinless. There's only one character that is righteous. It's the name Jesus. It's at the name Jesus that every knee shall bow and every heart heart confess. Every mouth confess from the heart that he is Lord. There is no other, and then notice what he says, there is no other name under heaven given among men. He doesn't say Jews. He doesn't say Africans. He doesn't say Americans. He's talking to Jews, but he says, look, I want you to understand something. There will not be another savior for you nor for anyone else. There is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Reason number three. Reason number three. Jesus is the lamb who purchased a people from all nations. Jesus is the lamb who purchased a people from all nations. So we've seen that his work on the cross was universal. We see that his work on the cross is the one mediator. He is the one mediator. Now we see that on the cross he purchased by his own blood one people out of many, many nations. Turn your Bibles to Revelation 5. Revelation 5, 9 through 10. Revelation 5, 9 through 10. Let's take a look at this. Here they are. It's, 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 it's in heaven. And the saints, they're singing, and the angels, and all of heaven is singing a new song. Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, speaking to the Lamb who was slain. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And have redeemed, purchased, bought out of slavery. You have redeemed us to God by your blood. And who are the us? Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Turn to Revelation 7, 9 and 10. It happens again. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number. So many people, you can't even count them. Of where? All nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God. We saw that in Jonah 2. Salvation belongs in our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All these tribes are saying there's one, there's one, there's one, the Lamb who was slain. But they come from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. Look at Revelation 14. Revelation 14, 6 through 7. 
Revelation 14, 6 through 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven at high noon so the whole world can hear. This, this could be a fulfillment of what the lady was talking on the video, the gospel being preached to the four corners at the midst of the tribulation. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting, the eternal gospel, the eternal good news to preach to those who dwell on the earth. To who? To every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of the water. Now, there's a lot of interpretation that needs to take place in that passage. That's not my point. My point is, as the gospel is preached, and as people are bought, it is preached to every tribe, nation, tongue, people. They are out of every tribe, people, nation, and tongue. People are saved. There is one one way, and there is one Savior. Now, this makes sense in the book of Revelation. Why? I, we won't read them, but Revelation seventeen fourteen, Revelation nineteen sixteen says Jesus is who? King of... Help me. King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, what is he saying there? He's simply saying this, that whatever authority is on this planet... Name the greatest authority, name the greatest power, and he's king over that. He's lord over that. Well, what about over in this country? He's king. What about this people group? He's lord. Yeah, but what about the guy in Africa? He's king. He's lord. And he's savior. He's savior. Notice again what Piper says. God did not plan multiple saviors. For multiple peoples. He planned one Savior for all peoples. His atonement is the means in every culture by which men and women become part of his kingdom. Please understand that in these passages I read from Revelation, the Lamb purchased, he redeemed them on the cross. He paid the debt for every people, every tribe, every tongue. All right, good. Reason number four. Jesus died to gather God's scattered children from all over the world. Jesus died to gather God's scattered children from all over the world. Turn your Bibles to John 11, 49 through 52. John 11, 49 through 52. Let me give you the context. The Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders are gathered against the one Savior. And they're plotting his death. And the high priest, Caiaphas, who is the high priest, determines, look, this guy, this Jesus of Nazareth is causing so much trouble and is becoming such an issue. Remember Oprah's crow? I can't get into a real religious argument with you. In other words, hey, things are polarizing here. We're not all smiling and clapping and laughing and getting free cars. Things are getting tense here. Okay. And that's what Caiaphas is saying, because that's what Jesus does, folks. He stirs up trouble. He creates tension. He divides people. He brought a sword to divide. Why? Because he's saying, repent and believe in me. And, and a large portion of this planet are going to say what to him? No. 
And an elect portion is going to say what? Yes, there's a divide. So he's saying, look, he's stirring up trouble. And if we're not careful, the Romans, the lords of this area, they're going to come down and they're going to, they're going to destroy our nation because, because he's stirring up trouble. So it's better for him to die than our whole nation to perish. And what's ironic, let's, let's look at it in the scriptures. Look at John eleven forty nine through 52. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it's expedient, it's good, it's best for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. Now, John is, John's the gospel writer. So the guy that wrote Revelation is the guy that's writing this. Now, notice what John says. Now, this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. He's saying, look, he thought he was saying one thing, but God used his mouth and his foolishness to say something different, that indeed it's better that one die so that the God's Jewish people do not go to hell forever. So notice, and not for, but, but notice what John says. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So here's what he's saying. This guy, the Jewish guy says, without knowing it, it's better for Jesus to die than for our whole Jewish people to perish. And John says, he doesn't know what he's saying how true that is, but not only for the Jewish nation, but for God's children who are scattered all over abroad. He will gather them into one people. Again, another Piper quote, the saving work of Jesus is not meant to be limited to one people, but is the means by which God would save his elect from all the peoples of the world. Reason number five, that Jesus is necessary absolutely necessary for salvation reason number five jesus is the only remedy for universal unrighteousness he is the only remedy for universal unrighteousness we're going to start we're, we're going to end where we began romans so turn to romans 3 turn to romans 3 And Romans is a great book. And Romans 1 through 3, we're going to be in Romans 1 through 3 a lot in the weeks to come as we answer the question, what about those who have never heard? But what I want you to see is that the whole book of Romans points to justification by faith in Christ alone as the only remedy for the universal unrighteousness of humanity. Now, let me catch you up. Romans 1 and Romans 2, Paul's making a case. And here's the case that he's making. He's making the case that everyone on this planet is guilty before God. And he begins with first, he begins with pagans. He begins with the people that Oprah mentioned in the opening video. Those who had never heard, those who are far out there. And here's what he says. The, the worst pagan who worships, worships a rock, tree, or a plant, or the sky or their ancestors, is suppressing the truth about God and their sinners in rebellion, pagans. Then he moves on. He says, well, what about the moral people, the moralist, the good guy, the guy who's not religious but he's spiritual, and he tries to do good. And he says, look, even his own conscience, even what he says he ought to do, he doesn't do. 
sinner before God. Then he says, and what about you religious people? You guys that think you know the Bible, those of us who know the Bible and try to keep the Ten Commandments, you know what he says? If you're trying to get to heaven by your good religious works, you've got to keep them all perfectly. How many have done that? How many of the good guys have been always good? None. How many of the pagans that are out there uh, worshiping the creation instead of the creator? That's not. Okay, so now what's the conclusion? Look at Romans 3, verse 9. Look at the conclusion in Romans 3, verse 9. As is, uh, what then? Here's Paul's conclusion. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews, that's the Jewish people, and Greeks, that's everyone that's not a Jew. Who, who does that include? Everyone. And they are all under what? Sin. And then he goes through, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one, none that understands, no, 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 no. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And then he says, verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law, that what? That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become what? Guilty before God. All the world. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, here's the good news. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets in the word of God. Even the righteousness of God, how do I get it? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. There's no difference, Africa, China, Asia, America, Canada. There's no difference. Why? Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or is he a God of the Jews only? No. He is not. Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is, oh, there it is. One God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. What he's saying is the Jewish people are going to come be saved not by their circumcision, not by their religious works, but by faith in who? Jesus Christ. How are these people going to be saved that, that don't go to church, that don't keep religious good faith in Jesus Christ? How are these people that are out worshiping rocks and trees and running naked through the wilderness? Well, how are they going to be saved? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. Notice what he says. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, I'd say there's only one conclusion from these five reasons, wouldn't you? And what's the conclusion? Jesus is absolutely necessary for the salvation of all peoples. There's only one way to God. The person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Jesus told the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And how does this relate to you and I for this week of world outreach? Luke 24. Jesus again says, Thus is written, Thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to whom? To all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Wow! Folks, 
You know why this week's so important? Because there's only one answer for Germany. There's only one answer for the Yucatan of Mexico. There is only one answer for Spain. There is only one answer for all the nations. And that's that you and I get on the team, get involved, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations. So clear the decks this week. Show up. Serve. Preach. Pray. Man, I'm excited. We serve a living God. Amen? We serve a risen God, and He's the answer. And so I hope you have embraced Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we wouldn't listen to this today and resist You, but we would repent of our sins, embrace the gospel truth that's so clear in the Bible. You have spoken. You do not stutter. There is one Savior. And to think that You would save us, You initiated it. You pursue us. You have given Your Son, for You love the whole world, every tribe, every people, every nation. But You love everyone in this room. And You died that they might receive You by faith. And so I pray that if there's any here that are resisting, that they would receive You and know that You're a gracious, mighty God. And then those of us that know You, that we would... We would be passionate and we'd fill the vacuum in our society. We would not let there be a vacuum because we would sound forth in love the truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray, do a mighty work this week that only can be explained because you showed up. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen.